Greetings, dear listeners. Before we get started, a reminder to head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation, as well as other subscriber-only benefits. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. Let's get right to it. Let's I think right people want to hear what we have to say. Well, at I mean, least some people do. Even, even, even to give to give people uh, a little peek behind the curtain. We tried to record this yesterday, and out of technical difficulties, we failed. Um, but we had some like good conversations, and I wonder, even given that 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 this mess um, in uh, in Gaza uh, is so fast moving, I, I I'm just curious, even for my own. Um, uh, for my own curiosity, uh, how 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 different our conversation will be because it's just it's it's insane how quickly it's moving. Um, I mean, yeah, let's, I'm, let's I'm just kind of angry. You're angry today. You weren't angry yesterday. I mean, well, not I don't so know much. if I'm. I don't know if I'm angry. <clears throat> I'm just kind of taken aback by the sense that a lot of people are just losing their minds, like in the heat of battle. Yeah, like moral decency, like goes out the door. Clearly. Which is, which I suppose is what you've always argued. Like ultimately, we live in a world of tragedy, mm. and power is power. And you know, I mean, well, moral decency. I mean, it's interesting that we should <clears throat> we should maybe even like uh, cordon off and think about which conversation we want to have. I mean, it has been striking uh, how the domestic debate in the United States has been incredibly strident, um, incredibly inflicted inflected uh morally indignant uh in a way that is understandable but also feels disproportionate because it, we're in the united states right um and then but then you know obviously i think where there's war uh for the especially for the warring parties it's going to be um uh not really a yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> fights about decorum at that point. It's about. But there's lives. no excuse for Americans. Like people, there's something just <laughs> Americans who are not actually in the Middle East, who are not actually part of the warring sides. Like it shouldn't. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard to like. And I don't. Like I really, I really don't want like both sidesism like. Well, if if I look at if I look at my own quote unquote side, the pro Palestinian side, there's a lot to be angry there. I think a major like just a major opportunity was lost to just say the obvious thing that what Hamas did was morally abhorrent and to just be angry about that. And the fact that it's so hard for people to express even just that. Like that shouldn't actually be all that hard. So yeah. that was disappointing to watch in the beginning, because like I want to call out my own, my own side, my own communities, whether it's Arabs, Muslims, progressives, pro-Palestinian groups. Like we should do. Like 
they and yeah, not to say that like I'm really part of the, part of this. I'm more of an observer, but um, as someone who's sympath who's who cares about the Palestinian plight, like we just have really bad. We don't have great spokespeople who are part of these movements, um, hmm. and so I think there was a major misstep there. It wasn't hard in the beginning to just say like this is atrocious. And um, so that's one. And I think there's like a lot of interesting debates that are like interesting philosophically that really fit, you know, well with what we try to do at Wisdom of Crowds on the question of moral culpability, moral agency. I think there are some deeper views that basically members, members of marginalized or oppressed groups do not have moral agency that they are just victims and they can't be held responsible for the terrible things that they do, that they are prisoners of their own environment. They are, um, and you know, I, I do think there are some interesting parallels to the way that we talk about, for example, crime in America, you know, that there is a progressive tendency to blame criminal activity on white supremacist structures or structures of inequity and oppression. And there's just something very dangerous about that because um, I think that when we think of individuals always retain the ability to make choices, no matter how constrained their circumstances are, they're not forced or compelled to commit unspeakable acts. And once we do that, we just get in like very dangerous moral territory. It's also completely un-Islamic because situa I mean, situational morality is not part of any of the major faith traditions. I mean, um, and for people to say, well, oh, well, we're oppressed, so the normal rules don't apply. But the Prophet Muhammad and the early Muslims were were fighting for their very survival as a community. Um, so like to say that you're more oppressed than the prophet was is also just like a little bit absurd. But um, but there's like a weird mixture of like progressive, like neo-Marxist ideas and woke ideas along with ostensibly Islamic ideas. And it's just getting it's just like a, a messy thing. But um, yeah, so there's that. But just to finish the thought and then, hmm. you know, take it where you will. I'm just also seeing. Like one thing that I'm struggling with is how do you talk, what is the appropriate way to talk about an atrocity after the atrocity? Because you want to be able to focus on the immediate harm that is being done. So when hundreds of Israeli civilians are being killed in cold blood at a you know music festival and other places, you want to be able to focus your attention on that. But, you know, if we're analysts and we're trying to understand how to move forward and how to prevent this from spiraling and how to like learn learn from the past, you also have to be able to talk about the broader context in which this is happening. There is a risk though that when you do that, so when you're if you if you kind of bring into the conversation the fact of the Israeli occupation of Palestinian suffering over decades, like the terrible conditions of Gaza, there is a risk that you're distracting from the kind of initial atrocity. So there's a kind of like, there is a challenging like balancing act that you have to do. And, you know, ultimately sensitivity isn't what a lot of people are concerned about. 
So maybe this doesn't matter to a lot of people. But as someone who, you know, speaks publicly about these things, um, you know, you have to give some thought as to like what is what is appropriate. Um, and um, and I think that it should be possible to to do different things at once. Like it ha it shouldn't be an either or. And so when people say, well, it's both sidesism if you talk about how bad Hamas is, but then you also talk about the injustices of the Israeli occupation. I don't because like if 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 now is not like at there, at some level, it's like when is an appropriate time to bring up the broader context like terrorism doesn't doesn't fall down from the sky. And, you know, I was. When ISIS would commit its atrocities, we would be very, we would be very like uh, careful as analysts to say, okay, well, what is ISIS a product of? How did this come to be? How does civil war create the conditions for radicalization? Like you have to, as an analyst, explore these questions, and we did that after nine eleven. Granted, people didn't do it the day after because that would be obviously insensitive and. You know, um, and like as America, as Americans, and this is happening to us, our first instinct isn't going to be, well, what were the contributing factors that led the Middle East to become a hotbed of violent extremism and terrorism and civil conflict? Like that just that's just not the way human beings respond to tragedy. But it is worth noting that most people after some time had passed did have a very involved conversation about what exactly contributed to the occurrence of 9-11 and not just 9-11 but a kind of context in which um the right like the the growth of terrorist groups like al-qaeda could even be possible and the fact that there was in those early early days and months there was significant unfortunately sympathy um, to, um, not not agreement with Al Qaeda ideologically, but a sort of sense that you Americans got what you deserved. And I remember hearing that from my own relatives in Egypt, and I was like, "Guys, I'm American. I could have been there. Like, you know, just think about what you're saying." But later on, later on, even Americans were come were talking about this quote unquote root causes that led the Middle East to become this this place where violence and terrorism was possible and not and not least among them was the bush administration its whole theory of the case post 911 was that if people don't have legitimate means to express their grievances through the democratic process through political means they're more likely to resort to violence or support others who are resorting to violence this was at the heart of the Bush administration freedom agenda, that the only way to fight terror is to address the contributing causes that make terrorism more likely. So like, you know, so I guess anyway, there's a lot there and I <clears throat> yeah, think I've gotten is. some things off my, off my chest. So yeah. yeah. Also good because I, th I feel like you've, you've, you've condensed, uh, 30 minutes of like technical <laughs> difficulties yesterday into an opening monologue there. So I think yeah. we're mostly where we're at, but I, 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 there were some other things. Well, no, never mind the other things. I want to unpack that sort of piece by piece. And, um, I think there's a ton to talk about and see how much we can get done in, in our allotted time. Um, <clears throat> I, I remain convinced that, that like 
everything you said, uh, there's nothing I particularly disagree with, but I, I, I would just say that, that uh, and maybe you would disagree with what I'm about to say, uh, which is that I, I don't think moralizing about it actually gets us anywhere. To mm. your point about analysis, but it's the moralizing that actually is the dead end. And I think that's why the, the, the conversation is so toxic right now, so hot. And so hot in a way that's that's making things worse. Um, again, and I'm not saying about uh, uh, Israelis and uh, Palestinians in Gaza right now. That's a, a completely different uh, category. But like for everyone outside, it's it's um, it's not helping. Um, you know the <clears throat> the thing that is striking about what you said. Um, it's like you know neo Marxist like woke context of 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 uh, both this concept of uh, an oppressed group having no agency and therefore having no choice but to act uh, in, in, you know, uh, a way, in some way, therefore, like justifying what Hamas did. It, the problem there is, even in the way you put it as an attack, it, and you talked about Islamic morality, situational morality, um, the thing is that morality ultimately is an individual question it's a question of the individual and it gets really problematic when you start talking about it in terms of groups and i think mm. that there's something and maybe i'd like to unpack that before we we get into 9-11 and the how to analyze things and um contributing factors for how we got here because i i do want to hopefully we'll have time to get into that because i think that's there's a lot to explore there as well but i really like to you know from a first principles thing like dig into this question of morality and the individual and the group and representation, because those are ideas I think that, especially in this hot moment, are being conflated in really dumb ways. Um, I would say that, you know, <clears throat> organized groups, and maybe you disagree, organized groups um, certainly can be said to be acting. Like an organized group will take an action. And insofar as we can say that an organized group takes an action, and that action has repercussions, we can pass judgment as individuals on that. Now, you know, if you're more religious and, and believe in the transcendent and a transcendent ethic, we can say that these things are good or bad. But I, on my level, I'm comfortable to pass judgment as an individual on this. And then the question becomes is like, what is Hamas? I think this is where the, the, the activists, uh, the sort of like neo-Marxist woke approach to it really runs aground on here, right? Because hmm. um, it conflates the idea that Hamas is Palestinians. And it conflates the idea that Hamas's cause is the Palestinian cause, which I think is deeply flawed and false even. And, and the reason I, I put it that way is that um, let's for a second take Israel and Israel's agency completely out of the picture. Let's just look at Hamas as an actor. Yeah. Um, and so this this takes the whole idea of of uh, like both sidesism off the table. Let's just assume that uh, as an actor, you can act in the world and you can make reasonable predictions about what the outcomes of those actions are going to be. So a group of Palestinians that happens to be currently ruling the Gaza, uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, um, 
as you have pointed out several times before, uh, not democratically elected, not democratically uh, accountable to the Palestinian people, has, um, while claiming it's acting for the Palestinian cause, has undertaken a beastly act that has very predictable consequences. They know what they're doing. Like, they fundamentally know what they had just triggered. Because again, like I said, we're not talking about Israel as a as a uh, as an actor in this model. We're just analyzing Hamas. So they did something, full well knowing what's coming, and therefore, I think there's a perfectly coherent way to say that knowing all of that, Hamas is about to bring down a catastrophe on Palestinians, and arguably. Now, this is a matter of judgment about like how this will play out down the line. Me looking at the geopolitics of it, I think the Palestinians are going to get fucked so bad by this and won't come out in a better place. So the, the really trenchant criticism of Hamas that I'm not an Arab, I'm not Muslim, but that I would make is that these fuckers pardon Shadi's mom, these bastards, um, have brought down a catastrophe on the people of Gaza on their heads. Just as a narrow statement there, uh, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But I worry about a consequentialist argument where we put aside morality and we talk about, well, what Hamas is doing is bad for the Palestinian cause um, and actually undermines the supposed goals of Palestinian self-determination because there is a there is a chance, it's probably a small one, that um, there will be greater, I mean, there will be greater international attention on Gaza, I presume, going forward. There will be a greater realization that you can't ignore the Palestinians, that you can't go around doing a grand bargain peace deal or Abraham Accords with Arab nations while sidelining the Palestinians. I think all of that is going to become more clear. So, I mean, there, there is, I just worry that if we're saying, so you're, I mean, you're certainly right. Uh, certainly at a humanitarian level, this is a disaster for the people of Gaza. There's a absolutely no doubt about that. And we're already seeing that just in terms of, the mounting um, death toll of, of civilians, including, you know, it seemed to be like a, a large number of children, um, you know, so it's, it is already a disaster, and it's going to only get worse. But, um, you know, the consequentialist argument has its limits, because maybe the international, like, maybe the international community will have a better approach going forward. Do you in believe a way that actually puts what? Sorry, do you believe they do? They will. I don't know. I, I actually don't know. It's really hard to predict these things. Um, you know, that's the problem with the future. It, it's you know, it, it's hard to predict well, before it can happens. I, can, I, can I can I give you a pessimistic read of like what's because here you I <clears throat> again uh, why I would. Um, damn Hamas in the name of the Palestinian cause is the following. Um, 
I think Hamas are self-interested actors um, because they're not Palestinian. They're not the Palestinian people. They're Hamas. Um, they are obviously driven in no small part by ideology, but they are also driven by um, all sorts of uh, considerations about existing, staying in power, staying in control. Um, the Abraham Accords, which are uh, the Biden administration policy, paradoxically not remarked enough upon, um, it's a Trump policy that the Biden administration has embraced and is trying to extend with its deal to Saudi Arabia. It's to expand the Abraham Accords to include Saudi Arabia. That presents a threat, one can say, you would say, uh, to the uh, well-being of the Palestinian people, but more narrowly, more narrowly, it represents a direct threat to Hamas and Gaza, because there's no way that Hamas as an entity, as an organization, and as I said it out earlier, Hamas, I think we can, we can assign agency to Hamas as an organization. Um, its interest is going to be severely, its interest of existence will be severely curtailed if the Israelis the United States and Saudi Arabia come to a deal. Um, that's likely down the line the end of Hamas. So therefore, true, but this could also be the end of Hamas. Like so, well, if it's so, all so, about that, self-interest. But, like I just but, don't but see that, how but, that. Can... But that's exactly it. So that's that's exactly why you'd make this calculus. You say if I wait and I allow this deal to go through, that's the end of me. Or I can do this, roll the dice, hope for the best thing with the international community, like staying Israel's hand. And then I have a chance to make it. What's the cost of this? 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 Palestinian civilians killed by Israel. So be it. So be it. That's the calculus of Hamas. And that's, that's my case that I'm making to you here is that yeah. like, and this is why the, the, there's so much cynicism to go around on this from Israel to Saudi Arabia to Iran. All of these actors are incredibly cynical and no one, not one of these actors actually cares for the the well-being of the Palestinian people, however you want to put it. Egypt as well, incidentally, because they're, they're keeping the door shut on their side of Gaza. So let's include everyone here who who doesn't give a shit about the Palestinian cause. But I just want to I want to drive a wedge through this idea that Hamas in any way is fighting for the Palestinian cause. The argument I'm making, the argument, the argument I want to make is that they have, they're not doing anything. They're not actually acting on the behalf of the Palestinian people. They are acting in self-preservation and invoking the Palestinian cause to preserve themselves. And in yeah. no way am I saying, and in no way am I saying by saying that, that the Saudi deal is, Palis is the Palestinian people's salvation. It's not. They're not going to get democracy and like a, a, a good functioning uh, government and, and, you know, uh, like meaningful autonomy if... Uh, the Abraham Accords are extended. I'm just saying in the narrow confines, and again, I'm happy to then pull back, as you're saying, and talk about analysis and the path forward and what should be done and all of that. But on this very narrow question that's bedeviling us and poisoning our, our, our dialogue so much, it's people are conflating Hamas with the well-being of the Palestinian people. And I think that's just it's off in a very profound way because these are bastards. These are bastards that uh, are bastards for killing civilians and will also 
obviously now we can expand it and say it's not like the Israelis have no choice in the matter and how they they prosecute this and how many people they kill. This is not doesn't mean that they have no responsibility for the number of people they kill. But 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 what Hamas did, they know how many people are going to die as a result of this, and they are doing it for their own self-preservation, not for the self-preservation of the Palestinian people. That's my argument. Yeah, that's 100% fair. I mean, um, and this is where the question of democracy becomes quite important, as you alluded to earlier. Hamas did win an election, but that was a long time ago in 2006. And the Palestinian people have not, and, and certainly not Gazans, ha- have not had a chance to you know, state their preferences about who, would, who they would like to rule them. And Hamas has ruled with an iron fist. It has been an authoritarian actor in Gaza. So anyone who's claiming that Palestinians themselves, civilians, are complicit in Hamas's rule, which is an argument you see on the fringes of the the far right. It's an argument you hear from, you know, um, some pro-Israeli voices that, oh, Palestinians should have done more to displace Hamas, or how is it that they accepted Hamas's rule, so on and so forth, which of course is, you know, oddly, oddly similar to what Hamas argues about Israelis, that there is no such thing as Israeli civilians, that they're all complicit in their own government's actions. So that's an interesting little parallel. But um, but I, I do worry that in making the argument that you're making is that Basically, so yeah, Hamas knew what this would lead to. They knew that it would lead to thousands killed. It'll be and more they, than thousands, like tens of thousands, easily. I well, think. I hope not. I mean, let, let's. I mean, come okay. on. I, I mean, mean I, okay. I sure hope yeah. not. Let's not let's not predict things like such. Yeah, but if it, if it does but get this into is, the, but, but but this is going to be hideous. This is going yeah, to but be it, a hideous thing. But that. But I worry that then we're, we're almost in a sense. I know that you're not saying that this absol- as you, this is not absol- You're not saying that this absolves Israel no. of what no. it's about to do. Of course not. No. But I do worry that this kind of thinking that Hamas knew what it was doing. They use you know whatever they use the Gazan population as human shields. The, all that that Israel then comes in and says, well, this is what we have to do, but we have no choice. I mean, you see this nope, language sure. of we sure. were forced to do this. We had no other option. Sure. And therefore, we're going to rain hell on Gaza. And that's just the way it is. There is a kind of logic that propels. It propels a lot of this. And I hear people making this argument like on Twitter and in like various various articles and and certainly Israeli officials having, I mean, former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, and we can include a link to this video interview in the show notes. It's just a remarkable thing to see. The interviewer asked him, well, something about, you know, Gazan, Gazan babies who are on incubators and how cutting off the electricity might have an effect on non-combatants and civilians. And what do you think about that? And Naftali Bennett acts so outraged that this question would even be asked. And he says, are you, he says to the interviewer, 
are you really asking me about Palestinian civilians now? And then he talks about Gazans as he uses the, the phrase, my enemies. He's not talking about Hamas. He's talking about Gaza and Gazans. And he's saying, well, these are my enemies. And so there will be no quarter for them. That is the kind of language that, so it, so we have to be very careful of saying, of reminding ourselves that the Israeli military, Israeli officials do have choices to make. Sure. And they can't just say, well, oh, Hamas forced us to do this, um, which I think is already what we're hearing. So, and, it, so and it's going to lead to a tremendous loss of life. And, and um, you know, there's just a callousness there in Naftali Bennett's, you know, comments, but also, and let's remember, the far right is in the Israeli government. Of course. So, so you know, the, obviously, I agree with all of that. Um, I have made uh, roundabout comments, uh, which is in st still this far off is in such bad taste. Um, but that Osama bin Laden is, was, uh, on some level, a genius. Um, in the sense that go on, he, he, uh, perpetrated a telegenic atrocity that to this day, uh, if you go back, um, and it was probably like two years ago that I, I did go back uh, when it was the anniversary and watch the footage of 9-11. It's breathtaking. It's, it's like literally I gasped. I remember just re-watching the footage of, of the airplanes flying into, into the towers. Um, and that was calculated by Osama bin Laden. And it worked perfectly. Did we have agency? And did we need to do all the stupid shit we did after that? Certainly not. Were there people saying we shouldn't? Certainly there were. Um, and yet still, uh, on looking back at that, and we can, this maybe is a way to talk about like root causes and the path forward and all the rest of that and the role of analysts, how to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, 9-11 was done and caused and planned by Osama bin Laden and his group of people. And it was calculated to do exactly what it did. He basically boasted about it. Um, it was clear that that's what he wanted. He wanted the United States to do exactly what it did. And we did. Um, and looking back at 9-11, and again, you can open the aperture and look back and come up with all sorts of analyses about the state of the world and uh, state of U.S. policy in the Middle East that had enabled someone like Osama bin Laden to um, come up with, mobilize enough people and pull off what he did. All fair. Uh, but Osama bin Laden knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, he did it for exactly the reasons that uh, to provoke exactly what happened. Um, and I don't think there's any uh, any way to to like get away from that narrow fact. Um, was Osama bin Laden 
the spokesman for the Arab world? No. Um, and I think a lot of the hideousness that followed 9-11 in this country uh, stemmed from conflating that. Uh, the Bush administration and the freedom agenda that you were pre- praising before uh, was was uh, the prelude to that was they hate us for our freedoms and um, uh, and all that nonsense. Right. Uh, Osama bin Laden didn't hate us for our freedoms. Uh, he had a a political project and an idea of what he was trying to do. And again, we can it triggered all sorts of discussions and uh, root causes and uh, conclusions about the freedom agenda and democracy, which you embrace. Um, but I still think at the end of the day, you can pretty narrowly look at 9-11 and say a man with an organization made a decision to kill a bunch of people in the most telegenic and breathtaking way imaginable to trigger a reaction that he very well knew was coming. Um, so, I mean, I, I, if you want to now start talking about like the bigger picture and the rest of that, I'm okay, happy so to, but I just want to... But- but tell me what you're trying to get at with all that. So, okay, th- a lot of that analysis makes sense. Although I would so, also say that there are alternative histories in which Osama bin Laden would have made different decisions, and we can go back and figure out what now those alternative. But isn't that, now you're getting back to the 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 exculpating the criminal sort of thing that like the the social the social fabric of the world shaped Osama bin Laden into the hateful person that he was, and he had no option but to act in no, a no, no, way. No, it's, no, no, it's a very different argument. It's that... Go on. Um, you can say this about serial killers or murder. I mean, maybe not serial killers. Maybe they're just, like, born that way, whatever. But, um, I mean, murderers... His father beat him, right? Like, that's the no, argument. No, like, no, he was no. beaten by his dad, so he, he killed 50 people. No, no. I mean, look, if if... X person who's about to commit murders, if something had happened differently in his life five or 10 years previous prior, that could have changed the course of this person's life. We know in studies of indiv- individual radicalization that certain certain moments of trauma can lead people on a path of embracing radical ideas, that they are they are vulnerable and confused at a certain time in their lives and they have a fork in the road. And, you know, even if you look at, you know, foreign fighters from um, Tunisia, Tunisia had one of the highest per capita contributions of foreign fighters to ISIS. And, you know, we know some of the stories of how certain Tunisian individuals decided to leave Tunisia and go into Syria. And one of the things that radicalized them was the Syrian civil war and this idea that, look, these atrocities are happening. That's not that doesn't explain everything. But when you try to look at how one. So let's take a certain community or a certain town um, in Tunisia. We have to be able to explain why one individual, let's say brothers or two friends who were exposed to the same who were exposed to a lot of the same factors there's got to be something that that and some of it's just psychological right. i mean but, but one so- one individual responds to certain stresses in one way and the other says well actually you know what i'm going to be disillusioned by politics i see all this going on in syria i'm just going to stay home 
and like focus on, I don't know, like, um, like music or my studies, or, um, I'm going to pursue this girl I'm really into where the other guy starts going along a particular path and one, one step leads to another, but a lot of that is contingent. Like it's not, there's nothing inevitable about individual radicalization no, in a sure. lot of these cases. You know, I, you asked me what, what, uh, what point I was trying to make. I was just trying to make my original point is that like, insofar as we feel like we need to um, moralize, and I think that it's a trap moralizing about stuff. Um, I just think that insofar as that one feels the need and one in times like these feels a need to pass judgment, um, I think it's, it's wise to uh, pass judgment on an actor and an act and the likely consequences that are, co are likely to come from that. And insofar as that one is uh, going to talk about the inevitable, and I mean inevitable, not that it's somehow faded, but like I think we know what the result of this is going to be on the Israeli side, I, I'm making the case here that like one can really damn Hamas for what they did because yeah, of uh, course, but that's different than it. saying it was inevitable they, that they would do they, this. Because once you they, start no, talking, that's, that, that's not what I said. I said just like just like Osama bin Laden knew what he was doing, Hamas knew what they were doing. Just like everything that followed, not that 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 the genius Osama bin Laden knew everything exactly to the point of what was going to follow from nine eleven, but he had a pretty good idea and intended it. I'm just making the case that Hamas has a pretty good idea of what's coming and they intended it. Um, and so therefore, I, the case I was just making is that uh, while all the analysis after 9-11 and all the analysis we could do about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and root causes and uh, history uh, are important, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying, heaven forfend, we're both intellectuals here. This is our job is to fucking stroke our chins. But like, it's, it's, I'm not saying that's not valuable or unimportant and we shouldn't engage in it. It's important and we should engage in it for the bigger picture and the path forward and the rest of this. I do think that moralizing for the analysis though, actually is not helpful. Um, because, um, my next step in figuring out analytically what's likely to happen next is to actually look at the players, uh, their intentions, um, where they're headed, uh, point out that none of their intentions are at all being shaped by uh, moral concerns. It just seems to be, to me, axiomatic that mostly uh, all of these questions, geopolitics, are not shaped by these things. Um, and you can say they should be, but I just, you know, again, it's an empirical observation, not necessarily a... Uh, um, uh, a statement of, of, of that's how it should be, but it just seems to me that's how it is. Um, I, I, uh, that's, that's all. Cause we, we were talking about, about moral culpability and stuff like that. Um, and again, and then I would just go back to what I was saying about the situation as I read it from Hamas's perspective and what's driven them to this point. My argument is that it's, um, uh, it's not out of an overwhelming um, uh, desire uh, to better the Palestinian people's condition. Um, now, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Hamas is also not a single person. It's an organization, and there are many members of it who okay, are driven by different we, things so and different ideology and stuff like that. 
Um, so, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, for me, the next step is how is this going to play out? Um, a lot of people jumped to say that this is the end of, uh, the Saudi Israeli deal. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that at all. Uh, I think that the Saudis are going to wait to see if Israel can prevail conclusively over Hamas. And if they are able to do it, and if they'll obviously look at what the geopolitical and world opinion and Arab opinion more broadly and their, their, the, what they can get away with selling to their own people and other Arab countries. But there's a huge door there for the Saudis to come right in after, uh, swoop in and displace what's left of Hamas and set up their own client to basically um, rule Gaza and, you know, provide some undemocratic, um, uh, likely oppressive uh, government for the Palestinian people to keep them out of the Israelis' hair. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, that's, that's what, I would, uh, what I would say. That's it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus. Thank <laughs> you.